sure it's on. Good morning. Okay, well, that's fine. You're all tired. I'm guessing you're on summer schedule, so you probably went to bed at what? 3 a.m.? 2 a.m.? In my clothes at all? No? Anyways, you're probably wondering, I mean, Scott gave me a little bit of an introduction of who I am. My name is David Maroos, but other than that, who is this red-headed guy standing teaching you guys? Um, as he said, I'm the children and family pastoral intern here this summer. I am from Charlotte, North Carolina, so I'm not from this area at all. Farm town is not what I'm used to, but no, I don't have some crazy southern accent. I don't say howdy, himmy ha, I don't do all that stuff, but I do really, really love the word y'all. That's probably one of my favorite words. So you probably notice I might say that a couple times a day. That's fine. Okay, good. I'm glad it's fine. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I'm from Charlotte. I moved to Chicago about three years ago to go to Moody Bible Institute. Um, and, you know, similar, similar to y'all, I grew up in church. Um, I, you know, grew up in children's ministry, youth group, and... It wasn't until about 10th grade, so probably around some of your ages, that I really took my relationship with the Lord seriously. And at this time, I just, I really kept praying, God, would you use me? Would you use me? And eventually, I just felt the drive and call towards, you know, knowing the Bible better, serving His church. And so I went to Moody Bible, and somehow, three years later, I ended up in Morton, or I guess Mackinac right now, but Mackinac, Illinois at Newcastle Bible Church. God works out things in really mysterious ways, in ways we will not always understand. But, that's just a little bit about me, and enough about me. As we get started today, I want to do an activity with y'all, because you're probably wondering, why are there a bunch of cups and water bottles up here? So, can I get a volunteer to come up? Oh, what's your name? What was it? Creighton, come on up. All right. So, as Creighton's coming up, we have, you're going to have two options, okay? You can pick to drink from this grimy old water bottle that leaks a little bit. You know, it's not all that appealing. And you could pick to drink from this shiny stainless steel glass. Which one would you pick from? On a normal, like just, you're going to drink from a cup. Which one are you going to pick from? You're grabbing it out of the shelf. You, this one stays cold or hot. It's insulated. This one will sweat through or burn your hands or maybe burn through the bottom of the cup. So which one are you going to pick? This is a trick question. No. Pick that one. So you're going to pick this one? Okay. Drink it. I'm kidding, don't drink it. What I want you to do is I want you to pour it in this glass in class in front of everyone. Cool. You told me it was a Well, I made uh might have discretion truth a little bit. Oh, that's not that doesn't look good. Alright, that should be good right there. Alright. Well, Creighton would have drank whatever nasty stuff is inside this cup. Doesn't look really good, even though the outside looks really clean, right? So here's that. Now, here, take this cup. You can drink that one if you really want, but pour it in there first. <laughs> nice squeeze it. Give it a good squeeze. 
Oh, look. It's clean. It's good water. How about that? Even though the outside looked pretty grimy and old and dirty, it was clean water. You can go sit down. Thank you. Everyone, thanks for eating for us. All right. So obviously, the good, clean, stainless steel glass looked all nice on the outside, but it was really dirty on the inside. And the kind of beat up one looks not the best on the outside, but it's very clean on the inside. And similarly, we can look like this first cup, the thermos, look very good on the outside, but be very bad on the inside. We can be the same way. This is what our lesson today is about in Mark 7, 14 through 23. The big idea of the passage we will jump into is that Jesus is going to tell a parable and explain it of the state of our man, uh, the man's heart. So Jesus will explain to us what is in our hearts. So would everyone turn with me to Mark 7, 14. As you turn... I want you to pay attention when we read to the word defile. Maybe some of your translations will be unclean or impure. And as I read, would you all stand with me as I read the word of God? All right, Mark 7. That's the big 7. Verse 14, the little 14. It says, And he called the people to him again and said to them, Hear me. All of you, and understand. There is nothing outside of a person that by going into him can defile him. But the thing, things that come out of a person are what defile him. And when he had entered the house and left the people, his disciples asked him about this parable. And he said to them, Then are you also without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from the outside cannot defile him, since it enters not his heart, but his stomach, and is expelled? Thus he declared all foods clean. And he said, What comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, Adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within and they defile a person. You can be seated. Would you pray with me? Our Father, thank you for your living word. Lord, would you teach it to us today? Help us understand what is within our hearts before we know you. Jesus, by the power of your spirit, you speak through me. Let these words be yours and not my own. We would speak to the hearts of these students. Amen. Alright. So we have our big idea. It's Jesus stating 
what is in man's heart, what's evil about man's heart. And this will lead us to verse 14. We'll just start from the very beginning. It sees, we see Jesus starting this story by calling the people to hear him. So, we hear Jesus. That's the first point he wants to illustrate. Verse 14, he says, He called the people to him again and said to them, Hear me, all of you, and understand. So why is Jesus telling the people to hear him? Well, he's first of all calling the crowds back to him. So imagine the crowd standing very far off as if you just were here last week, you realize that Jesus was having a conversation with the scribes and Pharisees about why are the, the disciples not washing their hands? They're defiling themselves when they eat. And Jesus is responding to this question, but also he's calling the whole crowds back to him because they most likely walked away when the, the scribes and Pharisees asked Jesus this question. They wanted to respect the religious authorities above them and the delegation they proposed to Jesus. So this question that they were asking Jesus, all the, the people knew, okay, we need to step back because this is a conversation that we don't necessarily need to be a part of. And we see that this story is taking place in Genesaret, um, in earlier in verse, actually at the end of verse, or chapter 6. Um, and we see that crowds were coming to him. People were coming to be healed and see Jesus do miracles. There was probably a huge crowd of people following Jesus. But we see also last week that the Pharisees were trying to catch Jesus and saying something that was against the law. Or that in a way so that they could arrest him. Pharisees and scribes really did not like Jesus. So, Jesus is calling all the people to himself, not just the Pharisees. He's, he wants to point out that to all the people, all, everyone that grew up in this tradition, that there's no man-made tradition that can truly make a person undefiled or pure or clean. This parable is a response to the Pharisees' questions of why the disciples eat with defiled hands. Jesus illustrates here that it doesn't matter what they eat or put into their bodies that will make people defiled. It's what comes from the inside. Kind of similar to our cup. It's really gross what came out of the inside of this cup, even though it looked really nice on the outside. It matters what's going out of our hearts. So the elders, why they created this tradition, or these, these fill-in-the-gaps, kind of a brief reminder of last week, was to help you know, follow the ritualistic laws or the ceremonial laws of worship in the Old Testament law. And the Pharisees saw themselves as the ones to help guide people to stay within these laws. So they added all these guardrails and fill in the gaps to protect people so they don't fall away from the traditions. And they were adding all these extra rules and regulations, but treating them as authoritative as scripture. 
This is kind of similar to, well, when we create spiritual disciplines in our lives, and where we do extra things that aren't necessarily in Scripture, but help us stay on track with God, or help us keep, keep us from sinning. But, if we apply these things to other people, what would we be is guilty of legalism. Legalism is a scary thing, and it's making things that are not in Scripture and requiring them for everyone. So this is what the Pharisees were doing. This is what they used the traditions, and on the outside, these Pharisees were all clean on the outside. They looked good and according to the law and all the other extra additions to what they made because they cared more about their appearance before man than the posture of their hearts before God. They worshipped, they ended up worshipping their traditions and not God. Jesus calls the people to listen and hear him. He wants the audience to hear and see that their hearts, they are truly defiled. So, here now, Jesus' brief teaching to this crowd. It's this really short parable in verse 15. Be almost seen as a proverb or a re- it's just real short, real sweet, but it's very dense. There is nothing outside a man or a person that by going into him can defile him. But things that come out of a person are what defile him. So, second point. We need to. We're going to hear the parable. So, we hear the parable. We just heard what he was saying to the people he's drawing them in. And what he's saying is the parable. So, this parable is going to be explained in verses 17 through 19. Or 17 through 22. The first half of this parable, so 15a you could call it is explained through 17 and 19. And the second half is explained through 20 through 22. Before we move on to verses 17 through 22, could I have a volunteer to read verse 16? Anyone? Verse 16. (laughs) Okay, you fell into my trap. It's not there. Maybe some of your translations have it, if you do, you should have volunteered. But it's not there. If you see next to the 17 in your Bible, there's probably a little subpoint or a note that says letter, or number 6, and that's pointing you to the notes at the bottom of the page. And it gives you some manuscript at verse 16. So it's Jesus using this phrase in verse 16, or what would have been verse 16, is if anyone has ears to hear, let them hear. So if you were to add this, and you can answer this out loud. If you were to add this, would it change the meaning of this text, this passage we're reading? Do you add this little phrase? No, it's not going to change it. If you take it away, does it change the meaning from this parable? Do you add this phrase? No. Now, we see that it's not included in here because the, or the 
translators of the ESV wanted to be real faithful to the earlier manuscripts. But this phrase is something that Jesus said constantly throughout his parables. He used it to emphasize, people, you need to hear me. But it wasn't necessarily in this context exactly, so they want to just make sure they're being as faithful as they can to the original translations. But just even if you added this or took it away, it doesn't make the word of God any less trustworthy. The word of God is trustworthy. It is faithful and reliable with or without this little verse 16 here. So, enough about the translation. I just wanted to explain that briefly. Kind of trick you a little bit. Sorry about that. Uh, but let's... let's Continue into our uh, our passage today. Verse our point two is understand Jesus. We'll see this through seventeen through twenty two. We'll begin with understanding why Jesus is teaching this parable. So we read in verse seventeen. When he had entered the house and left the people, his disciples asked him about the parable. He said to them, then are you also without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him? Since it enters not his heart, but his stomach, and is expelled. Thus he declared all foods unclean. So the story is picking it back up in verse 17. Kind of in a transition of Jesus and the disciples moving into a house. They're leaving the crowds, and now Jesus is talking directly to the disciples in private. And they ask him, Jesus, explain to us what you mean. This, this doesn't make sense. In Matthew's account of this story, in Matthew 15, we see that Peter is actually the one to ask Jesus this question. And it's really unique that Peter asks this question for reasons I'll get into in just a minute. But... We get to the full explanation of this parable along with the disciples when we continue to read. So he questioned, Jesus questions their understanding. Why, are you, why don't you understand? It's very clear. But it's almost... Mm, it's, it's Imagine somebody saying something so countercultural that it's like, did he really just say that? That's pretty much what Jesus is doing to the disciples here. He's saying something so radically different than what they believed growing up that it doesn't make sense. Think someone telling you, oh, you never ever have to pray or because, you know, like it's just you prayed once so you don't ever need to do it again. That's contrary to anything you've probably ever been taught. It's similar to that. Now Jesus isn't saying anything um, wrong. He's saying what is true. But he questions their understandings because the disciples have been following him for so long. And he continues to point out their spiritual deadness and ignorance. And constantly being able to not understand Jesus' teachings. But I doubt the disciples didn't truly understand or get what Jesus was saying. Rather what he was saying... Probably, they just wanted to be really sure. Jesus, is this really what you're saying? It's so different than what I grew up believing. And just to 
give you a little lesson um, in the Old Testament ceremonial laws. We see that the word defiled in Leviticus is mentioned nearly a hundred times. This emphasizes the status of whether someone or something is clean or unclean. Things as animals, objects, food, clothing, and people could be considered unclean. So, if a person was unclean, they couldn't worship God. They couldn't come into the temple and present themselves in worship of God. They had to go through a ritualistic cleansing to be made right before God. Now, what defiled people were a lot of things. There were certain foods that make people unclean. Pork. Who likes bacon? Yeah. Oh, Y'all know I like bacon? Okay, okay. What? Okay, whatever. That's fine. I'll forgive you. Anyways, I love bacon too. But if they ate pork, so they ate pig, they'd be considered unclean. If they ate fish, they'd be considered unclean. Certain kinds of fish, certain kinds of birds, a skin infection could defile them and make them unable to present themselves before the community or even in the temple. If you touched a person who touched a dead person, you'd be unclean. Because touching a dead person would make you defiled or unclean. If you touched a person who encountered a Gentile, you'd be unclean. Basically, if you touched somebody or came into contact with somebody that was unclean, you would also be unclean. So it's very serious. And Jesus is saying something so countercultural to the fact of if you eat, whatever you put into your body doesn't make you unclean or make you defiled. Jesus, are you really saying that? God used this to separate his people from the impurities of the world, to set his people apart from everyone else. But this, you know, these laws, there are some in the Bible, clearly in the Bible, but the Pharisees and scribes, they added, you know, to protect the people, they added a few extra layers to it to establish boundaries. And they put themselves in charge of protecting these boundaries. As we saw last week in part of verse, or chapter 7. And now we see that the Pharisees were forcing these boundaries and regulations onto the people. As we see, washing your hands. That wasn't something required in the law. They were saying, oh, they're defiled. They did it. Like, no, that's not what the Bible says. It's not what scripture said. So Jesus overstepped these regulations and boundaries by declaiming what defiles a person is moral and not ritual. It's not the traditions that you keep that keep you clean. It's God's holiness within you that make you clean. It's not the traditions or things you do that keep you clean. It's God's holiness within you that makes you clean. So now that you have this little explanation of why this would have been so contrary to disciples' understanding, I want to remember to remind you of when Jesus, or, yeah, when Jesus was answering their questions, the disciple that asked them was Peter. Peter is the disciple that had a dream in Acts 10. Basically, uh, with God having a vision that communicates that all foods are clean. He's reminding Peter here. He's teaching them, even then, that foods 
do not make you unclean before God. It's your heart. In Acts 10, 15, it says, What God made clean, do not call common or unclean. So, defiled. God used Peter to communicate that all foods are clean and good to eat. And we want, that's, you know, this portion that foods are clean. It's okay that we eat bacon. It's okay that we eat pork now. Because that's not what we put in that defiles our heart. It's what comes out. Now, this helps us to understand what Jesus is teaching us in this parable. The things that come from within defile a man. So Jesus finished explaining, explaining this by when we see what Jesus is communicating. So we understand what Jesus is communicating. And we see this in verses 20 through 22. He said, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. It's really funny that, you know, our passage today that Tyson was preaching on, if you've been to service yet or not, was our state before we met God. We were evil. We were in wrath. We were children of disobedience. And these are some of the things that came from our hearts, that do come from our hearts in our natural state. Jesus is communicating, obviously, here. It's not that we're, what we're putting in. It's what comes out of our heart. Just a reminder, our, Jesus is not talking about your blood-pumping organ that sits right here in your chest. In the Bible, in a biblical understanding of the word heart, we would see that it's always referring to a source of a person's inner being. It's their essence. It's where their thoughts and feelings come from. So, you know, what the world says is if you take a personality test, it's going to tell you who you are. You get to know yourself really well. If you really want to know yourself, you don't need to take personality tests. What you need to know is what's in your heart. And when you look into your heart, you'll find it's not really pretty. We see this in Jeremiah 17, 9. Through ten, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his deeds. What naturally comes from our heart is evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery. But <laughs> when you're reading this, you go, wait, 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 wait. Hold on, hold on. I, I've never murdered somebody. I've never cheated on a spouse. Like, I'm not even married. But remember what Jesus says in Matthew on the Sermon on Mount, the Mount. He says, if you ever look lustfully at someone, you commit adultery in your heart. If you ever hate someone, you might as well murder them. But you might be saying, well, I've never actually hated someone. Like, that's 
I don't hate people. Like I, I mean, I might just dislike them. But if you've ever just wished somebody wasn't in your life, what is that saying? What is that saying? The first six words in this list all describe wicked actions that come from the heart. And the second six are on the list are the evil desires behind and that drive the wicked actions. Envying is what leads to stealing and coveting. Wanting what your friends have because it looks nicer and cooler. Deceit is being, you know, being deceitful is obviously associated with lying. Or maybe not even telling the whole truth to your parents or people around you. It's just parts of it. It's deceitful. Slander, talking about your friends behind their backs or in front of them. Just being rude, making fun of them. Pride, making the whole world about yourself. Your life's greater than anyone else's. You're better than everyone. Or foolishness, the foolishness to reject the truth of the gospel, the word of God. All of these things come from the heart. They're not easy to see. It's kind of ugly. Otherwise, the heart is kind of gross. So it helps to understand what the real problem is. And that's the third point. We recognize what the real problem is. So recognize the real problem. Defilement comes from it within. That's what's the real problem. Verse 23 says, all these evil things come from within and they defile a person. Summarize all of it. It's not forgetting to wash our hands or doing these extra things we added to the Bible. It's what takes place within our natural person, the state we were originally born into. This is why we must not follow our hearts. Oh, that's something contrary to what the world tells us. Don't follow your heart. Or, as what the world would say, it would be say, follow your heart. Just, you know, if you don't know what to do, just look into your heart and walk that way. No, <laughs> don't, don't follow your heart. That's probably not the best idea, as we see here. We also need to remember, it's not the environment we're in. It's your heart. So we don't blame our sins on the environment around us. So the people around us don't make us sin. The video games in our room don't make us sin and waste a bunch of time. The temptation to watch what we're not supposed to does not come from someone else telling you to do it. It's the desire that's already built into your heart. And it's very nature. Continuing to talk about a friend behind their back is not the fault of people laughing at your joke. It's the fault of your wicked heart. Friends, this is why we need Jesus. He is the one who will create within us a new heart. That's the good news. Is that Jesus will create within us a new heart. We need to follow Jesus. 
You know, as David in Psalms 51 saw this real, really clearly, he says, Psalms 51.10, he says, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. David understands his sin is not because of his environment. He understands it's because of his heart. might have taken him a little while to get to this point. But he realized that, oh, it's, it's not all these things around me. It's what's naturally in my heart. Has your heart been cleansed by Jesus? We'll never rid ourselves of an evil heart by changing our surroundings. It may help for a time, but it'll never change our heart. Jesus makes it possible for us all to have a renewed heart. He lived a perfect, undefiled life, free from any sin. Yet he died on a cross in your place. He paid your penalty of sin. He paid the penalty for your defiled heart. Do you believe this? Have you trusted in this? Do you believe that Jesus came and lived a sinful or sinless life and died? He rose again from the grave. He ascended to the right hand of God in heaven. Do you believe that he's forgiven you? If you believe this, have you confessed your sins to him? Have you trusted him as Lord? And the Bible does say in 1 John 1, 9, it is faithful and just to forgive us our sins if we confess our sins. And in doing so, he'll create within us a new heart. He'll make us undefiled before God. It's the work of Christ within us that makes us undefiled. It's not the work that we do ourselves. If you haven't yet ever confessed your sins or you know, don't really know what it means to trust God, or you feel like your heart is just corroded with evil, I really encourage you to come and talk with any of the leaders here or talk to me. Like I'm more than happy to talk with you guys. Because I know, because of the death of Jesus, that he will give you a clean heart. But first, we have to ask him to do this. This is why we don't follow our hearts. Because our hearts are evil. It's just from within. It's evil by nature. So this gets us to our conclusion. Which these things are easier said than done. It's easier to say, don't follow your heart, than it is to actually do that. But, I want to remind you to follow your Lord and not your heart. That's number one. So if you, you see that evil things come from without, in your heart, we must not follow our hearts. But if we're going to follow someone or something... What does that mean? We spend time with them. We get to know them. We try to imitate their, their example. We have to listen to them. We have to hear them. We've got to know what they're teaching, what they're saying. And I remind you, the more time you spend in Scripture and following the way and looking to the way of Christ, you'll no the more you will notice your heart being transformed by Christ.
Because that's the more you're interacting with God in His Word. Also evaluate your heart. The more you realize, or the more you look at your heart, the more you'll realize how evil it is. You'll probably go the rest of your life and look. Look at your heart and see what comes from your heart and realize how evil it really is. But, if your heart is still corrupt, it will still lead you to sin and sinful habits. But you ask God to evaluate. You evaluate it. And you ask God, search me and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And if there is any grievous way within me, lead me in the way everlasting. Psalms 139, 23 through 24. Ask God to reveal your heart to you, but also lead you in the way everlasting because he will. Also ask God to give you a clean heart. And if you realize your heart is producing what is wicked, ask him to create within you a new heart. Confess your sins to God. David realized that his sin was in his heart. And he realized that it made him defiled. But he realized he also needed God to cleanse his heart, not things around him. He couldn't do it himself. A clean heart is broken over its sin and runs to God, not from sin. The scribes and Pharisees in this passage were all about outward traditions to make them clean. And having proper positions to worship God. But rather we need to have a broken heart and realize that God values more that realize that God values more than man-made traditions. He realizes he wants a broken heart. Don't let the state of your heart beat you down. Let the reality of what Christ has done for you give you hope and an encouragement that He makes you new. He renews your heart. There's no better news to look at what we once were before Christ than knowing right now and remembering, oh, I just, my heart's so bad. What can I do? What you can do is trust in God. And rejoice because God has made your heart new if we trust and believe in Him. Would y'all pray with me? Heavenly Father, forgive us of our defiled hearts. Help us come to you and follow your heart. Not ours, but we follow your ways. Will you help us evaluate our hearts before you this week? Make us right before you, Lord. Would we not follow our hearts? Would we trust your way? Would we confess our need for you? God, help us apply the truth of this passage to our hearts. In your name I pray. Amen. Thanks for joining me, guys.